Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Woo What Where podcast. I'm your host, Cass McCabe, manifestation and movement coach. I'm so happy you made it here. This is a place for unconventional conversation, a place to question everything and be open to anything. This podcast is a space for discussion surrounding personal development, health and well-being, spirituality, and ultimately the pursuit of joy. I encourage you to stay open-minded and discerning while we explore all things woo. Let's go. All right. Welcome, Jennifer. Here's your welcome to the Woo What Wear podcast. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. All right. So before we jump into everything and get started, there's a couple questions that I like to ask my podcast guests. Okay. Okay. <laughs> First question. What is something that has made you smile recently? Oh, things that make me smile. So really, I find that the things that make me smile are the things that I notice when I am in the present moment. So, I mean, it's always simple things like Mm -hmm. my cats or the light when I look out the windows, you know, at a certain time of day. Those are the kinds of things that make me smile. Yeah. When you just kind of like find yourself smiling and it's like not purposeful or intentional, you're just like, wow, I'm enjoying this moment. Yeah, exactly. I love that. For my next question, what does manifestation mean to you? Mm, That's a big question. Mm -hmm. Okay. So (laughs) I think that um, manifesting something is when you have an idea or um, a goal or a dream, and then you bring that into reality, Mm -hmm. make it happen. And I think that it can be a bit of a problematic term sometimes because it doesn't take into consideration necessarily all of the privilege that might be behind the success that has come. So for example, I am a white middle-class, straight, cisgendered, uh, Canadian, able-bodied woman. And so that puts me in a position where I can manifest things pretty easily. I'm totally believer in like putting out good energy and mood boarding your dreams and, and all of that. But I think we need to be careful when we use the word manifesting sometimes. Thank you. That's what I have to say. Thank you for saying that. It's so I did a manifestation course to become a manifestation coach in the summer. Mm, I started. Yeah. And that was something I talked to my coach a lot about. It's something I am still kind of processing and working with and thinking about. And it's always top of mind for me because I do believe in the principles of manifestation and the laws of attraction. And I think that mindset and all of these things are so important. But the privilege that I have, I don't ever want to come across as ignorant or unaware of how much of a ladder I stand upon to manifest these things with the privilege that I was born with. Exactly. Yeah. I saw a funny thing the other day. It was, you know, some tweet someone had put out, um, you know, I interviewed somebody recently for a 
top 30 under 30 or something. Yeah. And, and he, he said, these were the top four things that he made him successful. And it was getting up at 5am and cold showers and never drinking coffee. And his dad owns a tech company, Mm. right? Like it's, Mm. you know, and then below someone had said, yeah, he really manifested that. So I thought that. (laughs) I love that. It's something to be aware of in that sometimes it's like, what, what do you do? What do you do with that? You know, like awareness is the first thing, but I, I appreciate that you brought that to attention right away because it's, it's so important to think about. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Let's kind of just jump into who you are, what you're up to kind of give yourself like a little introduction. I was stalking you (laughs) before this episode. And I was looking at your certifications and just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. So you are, you have a plethora of certifications and experience. So I'm so excited to get into this. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, um, I mean, right now I would describe myself as a yoga teacher and an integrative breathing therapist. And I'm um, studying to be a yoga therapist currently. But I got, how did I get to this place? And my path has meandered <laughs> along. Uh, it seemed pretty straight line to me, but it might not look like it to others. And I have a music degree and I have a graphic design diploma. And so I've done stuff in completely different fields. And I was a stay-at-home mom for 12 years. And But I started practicing yoga, kundalini yoga. <laughs> and that's what I did for 10 years. And uh, if you have ever practiced kundalini yoga, you'll know that it's uh, it's unlike any other kind of yoga. It's all, you know, around the energies of the body and there's a lot of breath work. And I I really didn't know anything about yoga. I just went to this class and wow. had a really lovely teacher. She was, she's fantastic. So I was very lucky that way. And then, you know, over time, my life changed and I, I started practicing at a different studio because of logistics. And so I was practicing Hatha and yin and restorative, sort of the, those types of things. And, um, and they ran a teacher training and I thought, oh, great, I'll do a teacher training along with my other work. It would be great to teach a a yoga class or learn some more Mm and part with you the training. I, because of my privilege was able to just say, "Mm, no, this is what I want to do. And I quit my job and I went all in on yoga and then, um, Worked at that studio for a year after the training ended and helped run it. So I learned a lot about studios and the business behind yoga. But the studio closed after a year. And so I thought, what am I going to do now? (laughs) Turned my living room into a yoga studio. Uh, (laughs) Sorry to my teenagers and bumped them upstairs (laughs) into the, the family room space. And then, um, started teaching in my own space. And because I was teaching in my own space, I could really fall down the rabbit holes that I wanted to and teach in the way that I wanted to. And Toronto in, uh, well, you know, almost 10 years ago now was really a space of functional movement. I mean, this was like the space that Catherine Brittany Young came out of mm. the and mindful strength and yoga detour came out of this. And you did sort of detour milieu. as well, didn't you? Uh, I, I have, I did the, um, detour method online later. Oh, cool. Um, after I'd taught in their program about breathing. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
but I was curious about doing DMO. So I did that. It's a great program. If yeah, I know they're still teaching it and she's changed how they're doing it. So it's interesting. If you're listening and curious, check out Cecily's work and also Catherine's work. There's lots mm-hmm. of great people out there doing interesting things. Um, yeah. And it was also a space, you know, where Matthew Remsky was doing his research on, you know, what are we actually doing in Asana, which turned into his, his book. Um, and Diane Bruni was calling attention to teachers who were misbehaving. Yeah. So it was that sort of space. And I was like, oh, I need to learn all this other stuff. And so I started exploring sort of around yoga, functional movement, trauma training, and I came across Buteco breathing. And I thought if I'm looking at functional movement so I can teach better asana, I should also look at functional breathing so I can teach better pranayama. And then I became a Buteco educator and did that for a while. And then one of the um, this amazing teacher who um, researcher and teacher, and she had was one of the first Buteco trained practitioners in the West or in the outside of, of Russia. Um, she's in Australia, Dr. Rosalba Courtney. She has run the integrative breathing therapy program, which includes Buteco, but also brings in a lot of other techniques to help people with functional breathing. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. You did a really good job summarizing that. Thanks. <laughs> I'm impressed. For the listeners, I'll I'll give you the backstory and how I know Jennifer. So in mm. 2019, I did my yoga teacher training through the branches, formerly uh, Queen Street Yoga. And Jennifer came in and did, I think you did two or three days on breathing. Was it just one? Yeah, it was a long day. It was a long, a long day, but for like a good reason, because <laughs> I feel like I learned so much. And you know what? It's funny because going into this podcast, I'm so self-conscious of my breathing nope. and not, not in a bad way, but I'm trying to breathe like the queen or speak like the queen and just... <laughs> I always breathe through my nose in my everyday life, but it's hardest when you're speaking to remember to breathe through your nose, but we'll we'll get into that. So anyways, 2019, luckily pandemic hasn't hit yet. Jennifer gets to come in person and do a bunch of breathing and dive into all of the knowledge behind the breath and made me totally rethink and re-understand the breath through my yoga teacher training program. So at that point in time, had you done the integrative, what's it called? The integrative breathing therapy, integrative breathing therapy. Cause I think you were introduced as Buteco, as a Buteco breath specialist. Yeah. Rosalba wasn't running her course yet. I did the first cohort of it and it was during the pandemic. So, um, 2021, 2022. So do you feel like the that course expanded your knowledge from Buteco breath? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. You couldn't hear that eyes wide. Yes, eyes were wide. Yes. I had. <laughs> what were like the main kind of differences or like what, what was the kind of biggest things that you learned from Buteco to integrative? So I think, okay. Buteco breathing is, and I still think it's a really important technique. The goal of Buteco breathing is to, to work on the chemistry of breathing. Okay. Um, and that's an important element, but, and uh, many Buteco educators are also aware of 
good mechanics of breathing and the impact on the the psychophysiology. And sort of those three things are the lenses through which we look at integrated breathing therapy. And that's part of Rosalba's model that came out of her PhD in defining, defining dysfunctional breathing. So the biomechanics, biochemistry, and psychophysiology. And Buteyko really looks mostly at the biochemistry. So as a Buteyko person, that was really my my focus. Mm -hmm. Um, And this has really sort of expanded that focus, as well as looking at other research. So Rosalba is really finding good research to support what you're saying, your practices is very important in the integrated breathing therapy. And she's really pulled research from lots of places I'd never looked at Mm -hmm. and, and, and sort of getting into the subtlety of breathing. You know, we might feel when we come at it with one lens that we're smacking it with a hammer and, and sometimes for, for one person, this breathing technique is really great, but sometimes for a different person, it's not, and they need something different. And so that really is um, what came out of IBT for me. It kind of like expanded your vision on breathing, but like mm-hmm. Utega breath is still in there, but it's like, sure. there's more. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Buteco breathing came from research with asthma patients. So Dr. Buteco, Russian doctor um, in the fifties and sixties was doing, he was noticing the relationship between breathing and health. Um, people would come into the hospital and would have poor breathing and they would get sicker and people would come in and they would have, you know, quiet breathing, nose breathing, gentle breathing, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily um, get as sick as quickly or might get better. He could really predict when somebody was, was going to die based on their breathing. Mm -hmm. And the story goes that one night in the hospital, he noticed his reflection in a a door glass door and he noticed that he had his mouth open and he was breathing in the same ways that he was seeing sick people breathing and he himself had hypertension so he started to play with his own breathing what happens if i improve my breathing and he healed himself of his hypertension and so he thought oh this is something i need to work with more and yes he did uh worked a lot with directly with people with asthma Buteco breathing is very successful technique for people who have asthma. Yeah. I had mentioned this to you before recording this, but I just finished reading James Nestor's breath and I read it very quickly. So a lot of the different uh, doctors and people who have studied breath and breath techniques, I am like, did I confuse some of those? Cause I didn't take any notes. I just read it and I'm going off memory and that's why you're here. <laughs> so what is the Buteco breath? What is it? Like what, how does it work? What, what is the, how do you do it? The idea behind Buteco breathing is that we all need to be breathing less and that there's this relationship between how much carbon dioxide we have in our body and how, um, and our health and well-being. And when we breathe larger volumes, we're going to lower our carbon dioxide levels below normal 
of course we do need to exhale because we're constantly (laughs) making carbon dioxide and too much is also too bad. It's kind of that Goldilocks principle, not too much, not too little, just right. Mm -hmm. So when it is just right, then we'll find health and well-being in our bodies. Yeah. And so breathing less means that you are not taking in as much oxygen. (laughs) Oxygen is a whole other. So when we breathe in, we breathe in air. Okay. Right. Yes. Part of which is breathing in pure oxygen. (laughs) No, it's only about 20% oxygen. Mm -hmm. And, and then when you exhale, you actually exhale a lot of oxygen, maybe 75% of what you inhaled. So actually most of our breathing is um, not based on how much oxygen we have in our body and our requirement for oxygen, but it's based on trying to get the carbon dioxide levels correct. Right. So that, Right. Which is interesting. So Butego breath, breathing less, kind of the main takeaway. Yeah. So there's a lot of, we call it reduced breathing. So Mm -hmm. you actually just sit and quietly breathe through your nose a little bit less than you feel you want to. Mm -hmm. And it's to, to retrain your brain to accept higher levels of carbon dioxide. So we're sort of playing with the, the chemo sensitivity Okay. In the body of carbon dioxide. And it also includes doing breath holds. There's, you know, short breath holds and much longer breath holds. And it depends on the practitioner you're working with um, and, and the goals that you're trying to achieve, what, which ones you would use and when you would use them. But that's really the main takeaways, breathe less and use breath holds and try to increase your tolerance of carbon dioxide. Right. And when you do the breath holds, I kind of forget, but when you're doing the breath holds, are you holding with a full inhale and then with a full exhale? No. In Buteco, you hold after exhale. After exhale. So it's a gentle inhale, gentle exhale. Don't try to exhale out all the air and then you hold. Right. And then you hold until you, just before you feel like you really need to take a breath. Well, there's different breath holds. So oh, right, right. that one that you're <laughs> describing would be a control pause or a comfortable pause. Sometimes right. we call it. Um, and if you read Patrick McEwen's work, he often refers to it as a bolt, especially in his oxygen advantage work, but it's the same kind of breath hold. So it's, that's the one that's looking for the moment when your carbon dioxide levels tell your brain it's time to breathe. Mm-hmm. That's and then the you- point of that slightly push it a little further each time. So then you kind of build up this tolerance. Well, over time, as you work on the chemo sensitivity, as you work on increasing your carbon dioxide tolerance, your comfortable pause or control pause will naturally extend in length. And that point at which you feel you need to breathe will come a little bit later. That's, that's the goal. You can also use things like extended pauses, which are slightly longer than that to also use the pause, not just as sort of a measurement, a check-in to see, you know, where you're at, but also to see, uh, to use it to increase your carbon dioxide levels and increase that, that ability to sit with more carbon dioxide. Right. The thing is in my work, I really noticed that although uh, we are looking at carbon dioxide Um, ability to sit with carbon dioxide with the comfortable pause for people who have high levels of stress or who have a trauma background or 
uh, are in a nervous system elevated state, let's say, mm -hmm. the, the comfortable pause can bring on a lot of stress. And so, you know, sitting and waiting, and that actually shortens their ability to be in that space, which makes their comfortable pause shorter. So then it isn't a true reflection of your carbon dioxide levels. Right. So although we, and the other thing is your, your comfortable pause will change throughout the day, depending on what you've eaten, depending on your, where you are in your menstrual cycle, mm -hmm. depending on stress or anxiety, depending if you have a cold, right? And so we'd like to say that this is this number and this is what it means, but it actually is a reflection of a lot of things happening in your body. Yeah. And, and to your point, like if you just walked up the stairs, your comfortable pause is going to be a lot smaller. I found throughout the book, I was kind of practicing some things and just, <laughs> I've never been so self-conscious of my breath reading any other book, <laughs> but I, I went from like, um, breathing subconsciously to being like so conscious and I was reading it around my partner he's like why are you breathing like that like are you good I'm like I don't know I forget how to breathe well and this is one of the things that I find is that people <laughs> they 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 start learning a breathing technique and then they're constantly um, manipulating the natural breath to try mm -hmm. to be this thing and really I mean, there's lots of different reasons why people would do a different type of breathing exercise. Yeah. But when we're, when we're retraining for functional breathing, the point is to do the work to help the brain make better decisions so that when you're not paying attention, you're breathing functionally. Yeah. And to not have to pay attention all the time. Right. Yeah. Because breathing is mostly an autonomic function. Until it's not, <laughs> and then you know, <laughs> and then you're like, "How do I do this without thinking about it?" Because I can't even do it when I'm trying. That's so. But funny. I think the other thing is that people are so concerned about their breathing and it being perfect. Yeah. And some people come to me, and then they're so stressed because their breathing doesn't feel good, and then they feel like they're doing it wrong. And I, you, you know, I have to remind people, you're alive. Your yeah. brain is breathing in a way that is keeping you alive and you don't have to worry about it all the time. You're okay. You're okay. You're here. You're okay. <laughs> Look at you. You're good. You're doing it. So we can, <laughs> we can do things to improve functionality, to optimize things. Um, of course, there are these three lenses through which we can look at, at finding dysfunction in the breathing some people don't like that word dysfunction because it makes them feel like they're doing it wrong or they're bad. And that's the, that's the language that we use in literature. It, like yeah. That's just literature. like a scientific anatomical a scientific. way of describing things. It doesn't mean yeah. what it means in our modern society. Like you're dysfunctional. It's just, just you're bad. <laughs> it's just the spectrum of function. That's all. Right. Yeah. And there can be something that's slightly less functional than it could be. And yes. so we can work on those things and there's different ways to assess people to, um, to check on that. And, and really one of the important things to do when we're talking about buteco breathing, and this is much harder to do because um, I'm often working with people online, but is to check mm. their carbon dioxide levels. You need a capnometer to do that. And they're really expensive. So it's not like like you can get um, a pulse oximeter, a little thing you put on your finger and it'll yeah. tell you your oxygen level. 
they're $30. You can get them at Amazon or whatever. And you stick it on and it tells you your heart rate and your oxygen levels. And you can easily check in with your oxygen. And those were really important, actually, particularly in early COVID because people's oxygen was dropping drastically. And so if somebody got sick, if you got a pulse ox and you put it on their finger, you could monitor their, their oxygen levels. And if it, you know, dropped below 92 or whatever, then that would be a good sign that they're really sick and need to go to the hospital. And actually you couldn't order them. They were all sold out online. Yeah. But um, to check carbon dioxide levels is much more complicated and you need this machine that can cost thousands of dollars. So Yeah. So it's just um, not accessible. It's not accessible. So that's when we we start using things like comfortable pauses to try to uh, gather to that measure. information. Yeah. But actually, um, really interesting studies that have been done by a woman named Alicia Murray in a, um, a protocol that she called CART, which is capnometry assisted respiratory training. And she's used CART to help people with asthma and also with panic disorders. Mm. And really it's using a capnometer every time you sit down to do your breath training and using that to guide you to keep the carbon dioxide levels high enough. Mm. And so instead of it just being, you know, this interoceptive awareness of being in discomfort, you have a number. So you have this biofeedback. And so people she had great success in terms of people sticking with it and actually practicing every day. Yeah. And then also with people feeling better and not having panic attacks and not having asthmatic symptoms. So it's too bad. They're so expensive because they're a really great tool. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. like for people with anxiety or when you're having a nervous system dysfunction or increase in function as it may be with anxiety, Having an external cue is so helpful because sometimes going more internal, like if you, if your heart is racing, you don't want to focus on your racing heart, like where uh, attention goes, energy flows, you know, like having that external number on a machine that you can focus on and know you're doing something beneficial. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. It would be really helpful. Yeah. If we could have more capnometers (laughs) for less money. So you said there's three lenses that you can look at dysfunction through. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. So biochemical, we've already talked about that. The second one is biomechanical. And so um, the way that I talk about it is nose versus mouth and then diaphragmatic breathing. So nose versus mouth, functional breathing happens when you're breathing through your nose. Let's say most of the time, almost all of the time. There are certainly times when I would tell people to open their mouths and breathe through their mouths. Um, if you get punched in the nose and your nose is bleeding, please open yes. the mouth. If you are swimming, please open your mouth. At least, you know, inhale. Maybe you can exhale through your nose, but you don't want to pull water in. So, you know, there's times when um, you have to breathe through your mouth. Um, but most of the time we can be breathing through our nose. And there are lots of good reasons to do this. Besides the fact that your nose cleans and filters air, it also humidifies and regulates the temperature of air going to your lungs. And your nose is a part of your innate immune system. And so it's really good at capturing and killing viruses and bacteria when they are trying to get into your body. I remember you showed us, was it a dust bunny? Like if you take a breath. A dust mite. 
A dust. Oh yeah. A dust mite. So <laughs> can you, do you remember this number off the top of your head? The, well, it's a crazy difference, but if you bre- take a breath through your nose, the amount of dust mites that get in versus taking a breath through your mouth, the amount. Well, your dust mite, your nose can kill a dust mite. I think it's in about 15 minutes, but dust mites, if you breathe them in through your mouth can live in your lungs for months. So I'll never forget that picture. (laughs) I'll link a photo. (laughs) And, and the dust mites, you know, live in your pillow. So when you're breathing at night, yeah, close your mouth. Yeah. Okay. So biochemistry, biomechanics, mouth versus nose, but also diaphragm. Yes. So this is the top of the top of the, the breathing canister, right? The, the unified airway. Yeah air coming in through your nose or mouth, but hopefully your nose most of the time. And then, then there's the muscles at the bottom of the airway that are pulling the air in. So we can use our diaphragm and our external intercostals. Those are the muscles, the outer muscles between the ribs to expand the rib cage, which pulls air in to the lungs. When you're breathing through your nose, you're more likely to use the diaphragm than if you're breathing through your mouth. So there's um, an interesting relationship there. If we're using what we would call accessory muscles, so the sternocleidomastoids, upper muscles in the chest, some upper muscles in the back, as the primary movers of air, they're not as efficient they're not as strong. Um, and so it's, it can create muscular tension, sore necks or shoulders. Um, but then there's also a relationship between that and stress and anxiety. So we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. But what we want to help people learn to do is to use the diaphragm more of the time and to create a better working relationship between the diaphragmatic breathing and upper chest breathing. You want to be able to use the the muscles and breathe into your upper chest. There's nothing wrong with moving air in and breathing a full breath sometimes, or using the muscles, the accessory muscles, but they should be accessorizing the diaphragm, which is also working. Yeah. So what are some ways that you would work with people to reactivate or improve their diaphragm? Well, you can do things like inspiratory and expiratory muscle training. So you can use a tool Um, that you would, and you have to breathe through your mouth to use them, unfortunately, but it's, it's one of those moments where you have to breathe through your mouth and that's okay. So you put it to your mouth and, and you, um, decrease the flow of air through it so that it's harder to breathe in and harder to breathe out, which makes the muscles work more. So diaphragm. So if you're working on the diaphragm, you'd work on the inspiratory muscle training because the diaphragm pulls air in the diaphragm. Doesn't, you don't contract the, the diaphragm to push air out contract different muscles to push air out. Um, But most of the time, actually, I should just say that most exhales are passive. So it's just the muscles relaxing and returning to their position that sort of gently pushes air out. Yeah. So it's more about like training the inhale and like the pulling in of air through your diaphragm, making more space for that. Making the muscles stronger so that they're more able to do their job. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's one way. 
can work on inspiratory, expiratory muscle training. There's reasons to do expiratory muscle training as well. And sometimes we focus a lot on the inhale and then the diaphragm is sort of constantly contracting because we're, we're always thinking inhale, but we also need to give the diaphragm time to exhale. And sometimes we need to purposefully uh, work on exhale to help return the diaphragm to its resting position so that it's in a position where it has enough where the relationship in the position between it and the and the rib cage is such that it can contract efficiently, let's say. Okay. That makes sense? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. good. So sometimes it's good to work on expiratory muscle training and working on expiratory muscle training can also be really helpful for people who say have sleep apnea. They've shown that it can be helpful in, in um, toning the tissues of the throat that are collapsing when people... So sleep apnea is when... Um, people at night, they stop breathing because their their throat collapses and they can't get air in. It can be really dangerous. So there's reasons to to train both muscle groups. Um, so that's one way. Another thing that I often do is I take a TheraBand or a resistance band or a resistance tubing or a big stretchy scarf that your grandma knit you. I have one client who used an old pair of leggings. Yeah. And I just... <laughs> tie it around the low ribs. And again, we're, we're looking at biofeedback. So just being more aware of the sensation and then breathing into that band. And then there's a bunch of different positions that we can use. Um, you know, basically if you did some really simple, gentle yoga positions, you know, being on your back, being in bridge, being, you know, on tabletop, bunch of those different kinds of positions, even thinking about how does, um, how does the, my relationship to gravity change if my, if I'm on my back, like for bridges, but back on the ground and uh, knees bent and my arms start to move from fingers pointing towards the ceiling to fingers pointing at the wall behind me. So more parallel to the ground. And yeah. how, how does that load change my diaphragm and my ribs ability to expand and breathe into that, what we would call lower thoracic configuration of breathing. Right. So, so I get people to practice being in different positions Yeah. and breathe. Well, and it's amazing too, even just like having a hand on your back around your diaphragm, like your mid back, let's say, and a, ha- a hand on your front, just having a light touch to think about breathing into you're like, Whoa, like mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. helpful, even if it doesn't change much or whatnot. When I um, work with my clients in um, rehab therapy with the breath, I'll even sometimes just get them to like, like, okay, try to find your waist, like feel your ribs. Like, okay. So now you're there now just try to like make your hands come out a little bit further when you breathe in, like just to get an idea of what's going on, what should be going on and just or what could be going on, what could be going on. Yes. <laughs> Another really interesting position to use is the crocodile breathing position. So on your stomach, on the floor, mm. and then what does it feel like to breathe into your back? And again, sometimes putting something on your back and it might be a hand, although that can be awkward in when you're lying on your stomach, mm-hmm. but I find like one of those nice thick cotton yoga blankets. It's great. You just lay it across somebody's back or a book or something. 
a small child. No, um, whatever, <laughs> whatever you have to hand. A cat. <laughs> they don't like to stay. No. But, but but just being on your stomach and then being able to move the back because the ribs, we think of the breath being in the front of the body. Yeah, we do. But the ribs are in, or the lungs are in the middle of the body mm-hmm. and they expand out in all directions. And yes, there's more movement of the ribs in the front, but there is also movement in the back. And a large portion of our lungs are in the back. And so we need to be able to find some, some movement there. And it's really interesting too, when we do get those ribs moving when, and we do get that movement into the back, I sometimes find in clients that if they've had lower back pain, tightness in muscles in the back, quadratus lumborum, other, you know, those muscles that are really integrated into the diaphragm. When you get the diaphragm moving well in the back times, those muscles relax or uh, relief and mobility in the back. That's so interesting. It makes sense. Do you think that part of that posture, I mean, I'm sure that posture and breath are related because if you have like our society, which is this very like kind of hunched forward head posture, like how do you get breath in through that tunnel? Right? Like, yeah, we're on computers all the time or on our phones or in this little tiny space just in front of our bodies, which doesn't doesn't help us breathe more freely. Yeah. Even the head position, like I'll find myself looking at my phone and then I'm like, oh, why is my neck so far forward? Like get back there. And then Mm. like, it's no wonder that that would cut off your breath or kind of force it to go into the lungs because you're, you're like kinking a hose. So the water can't flow. (laughs) It's harder to breathe freely. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the two lenses, the first two, the biomechanical and the biochemical. And then the third one is the psychophysiological. And that really is the relationship between stress and anxiety and how we're breathing. And when we, when we are in a stressful state and, or when we have a history of a lot of stress or traumatic stress traumatic childhoods, um, we might have developed a breathing pattern that in that moment was what we needed, but over time can become harmful to us. And so, and there's, it's very interesting, the relationship between breath and our mind, our brain even. So, you know, your brain when you go into stress state, will tell your breathing to shift into these stress breathing patterns, like holding your breath, breathing faster, breathing through your mouth, breathing into your upper chest, all of those kinds of things. But also when we change our breathing, it can tell our brain that things have shifted Mm. and that can be both into or out of stress states. It's like a hack. (laughs) It's a hack. It's a total hack. (laughs) It's a total hack, but we can hack ourselves into stress. If our breathing pattern, if our breathing habit is one of these stress breathing patterns. And so if you have this history, traumatic history, or you are in a period of stress in your life and the breathing pattern that you have developed or using most of the time is a stress breathing pattern, it will feed into that stress loop. It will push you into stress or into feeling anxiety more often. So 
there's that relationship. Now we can, yes, we can use breathing to calm ourselves down, except if the stress in your body is there because there's a thing happening that needs to be dealt with, and that could be present or historical, just changing your breathing isn't going to be enough to make you feel better. Yeah. It might momentarily, it might long enough uh, for you to be able to do something <laughs> to act. Yeah. But it you can't just fix the trauma in your body by changing your breathing. It's like taking an Advil for a broken arm. Yeah. Like you need to it might feel better or whatever. <laughs> it might, it might help momentarily a little yeah. bit, but it's not enough. You might need the cast and the Advil. And the Advil. Yes. <laughs> so, and I mean, it's interesting. I've had people come to me and they have a history of traumatic stress and we try to change their breathing and, and it doesn't work. I've also had people come to me who have a history of traumatic stress and they've been working with a therapist for years and they've been doing movement practices and they've been doing all of the right things, but their breathing hasn't changed. And they like, they're still, their bodies are acting like they're under stress. I've had people who are under, have heart problems because of the stress that they're under. And then we change their breathing and we do some work on that and we get them to recognize the patterns that they go into of, of hyperventilating while they're talking and telling their, their story with their therapist, for example, or of breath holding upper chest breathing and breath holding. And we shift those patterns and suddenly they're feeling more calm, more of the day. Um, I've had people who are on uh, blood pressure medications where they have to have those medications reduced like by half within a couple of weeks, by half again, within a few more weeks. And now I don't do that. They go to their doctor and they do that. I don't change people's medication, but um, way out of my scope of practice, <laughs> but, but changing the breathing patterns and understanding their habits is so important for unraveling the impact that trauma has had on their bodies. I come back to this with, with so many guests, with so many different modalities, with so many different ideas and things, but it's this idea that the body and the mind are the same thing. Like you can't just heal the body without addressing the mind. You can't just heal the mind without addressing the body, all of these things and the spirit in the spirit or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Like you can go to therapy like crazy, but if you don't address the breath, you might never heal your trauma or your anxiety or whatnot, or manage it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. You exactly explained it like that. So it's, it's a both and sort of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was going to say that's functional breathing. There's these three lenses of functional breathing. And so what I look at most of the time is trying to help people breathe in ways so that their breathing most of the day is in this sphere of functional breathing. And there are many breathing practices out there that fall outside of that that look very different than that. Some of many, many pranayama or some pranayama, we could say, um, Wim Hof, um, ecstatic breathing. There's lots of other breathing practices that don't look like that at all. And they, they can be useful for some people. I think as long as there's also an understanding of functional breathing. Yeah. It's and like I you, Get your functional breathing down, and then you can go do some crazy stuff with your breath if you want. <laughs> it might be useful for you. And so 
but if you haven't figured out your functional breathing and your breathing habits and what's going on, and you're just going into these other places, there may be some problems that come out of that. I've had people come to me who, you know, went to some ecstatic breathing weekend at some place and they did this breathing exercise and they have a trauma history. And so it completely triggered them and they go to their room and sleep for 10 hours. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's not a healthy or helpful breathing experience for them. Not to say people should never do it, but, but maybe it's not where you should start. Maybe just start with breathing less through your nose. Okay. (laughs) Start with breathe through your nose, use your diaphragm, notice your breathing habits and patterns. That's what I suggest to people. That's the beginning. Yeah. Cool. Amazing. I just wanted to touch back on some of the breathing habits that you notice from people who are in, like you said, holding the breath and then hyperventilation were a couple Mm -hmm. of the common ones. Yeah. So upper chest breathing, that upper thoracic configuration we talked about. So basically what happens is we're holding the diaphragm, we're holding our abdominals. um, And there's lots of different reasons why people might do that stress or anxiety or wanting to be svelte and skinny. Uh, That sort of habit of holding there can push us into needing to use the upper thoracic muscles. Like sucking in your tummy. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. If you're sucking in your tummy all the time, then those muscles are restricting the movement of the diaphragm. So like what we did for all of the early 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) Why did they make us wear low rise jeans? jeans. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So using the upper chest breathing. And then what I often see is inhale, hold. So a big breath in followed by holding the breath. Mm -hmm. And people will often do this. It's like you recognize something is going on. And in the moments when you're waiting to figure out what do I do, (laughs) you hold your breath. Except most of the time when, when we're noticing that something's wrong and we go into that state, we're not going to respond by fighting or fleeing. We're going to respond by replying to the email or the text. Yeah. We're not being chased by a lion. (laughs) <laughs> There's no action that that comes with with yeah. the response to that. And so we get stuck in this holding of the upper chest muscles, you know, and the breath on the inhalation. And so I don't work, I don't very often have people inhale and hold because it harkens back to that same feeling of being under stress and inhale and holding the breath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when I first started practicing yoga, whenever I was doing a challenging balance posture, mm. I was holding my breath and it was definitely like, it was on the inhale. Cause like you're mm-hmm. kind of cued to inhale as you're going into a posture a lot of the time. And then you're like holding a, a tricky balancing posture and you're like, okay, I need to focus all my focus on holding this posture. You know what? I'm just going to hold the breath too. And then I don't have to worry about that. But I remember doing that because then a lot of instructors will be like, and don't forget to breathe. And then you're like, oh yeah, I'm not breathing. Why am I doing that? Because well, part of what you might be doing in that instance as well is you inhale, your diaphragm contracts, you create some intra-abdominal pressure, which might help bring some stability into the pose. Uh-huh. Okay. So, you know, the, the diaphragm is at the top of the abdominal canister 
mm-hmm. diaphragm, and then around the middle, you'd have transversus abdominis, and at the bottom of it, you have pelvic floor. And so if you push down the top, you're going to create some tension, intra-abdominal pressure. Yeah. Help with stability. Yeah. Mm. That's mm. another hack. Just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, we can talk about hacking things or we can talk about, um, which I think that the idea of hacking things is yeah. problematic, but we can use tools and understanding of the body of physiology to make different decisions in different moments. That's a nicer way of saying it. (laughs) Yeah. So you might want to create some intra-abdominal pressure. That might begin with an inhalation, but then perhaps you could continue by slowing your exhale. So not just allowing the diaphragm to, but maybe, you know, slowing the relaxation of the diaphragm as the abdominal muscles also contract, maintaining some intra-abdominal pressure as you exhale. And I find personally, I love doing the, what's it? The Ujjayi breath. Ujjayi. Ujjayi. I love it. And it's probably for that reason, because so the Ujjayi breath, for those of you who don't know, it's a yogi breath and it's, you kind of contract the back of your throat. So you take an inhale and then you kind of like, you kind of like push it against the back of your throat. It's like the Darth Vader breathing. <laughs> yeah. And it is. I, I've always enjoyed it and I've enjoyed it as a way to, when you first start breathing through your nose, it can feel really like challenging, especially on the exhale, especially when you're exercising. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was a way to presence me into exhaling through my nose and keeping it slow. And then I was just like, oh, this feels good. But And it sounds like maybe it was also a way to like slowly release that intra-abdominal pressure. Mm-hmm. in a way that was that I could hear and actually like realize was happening. Mm-hmm. So Ujjayi can be a really powerful tool. So it can be a way, so it's, we would talk about this being the cervical diaphragm. Mm. So the muscles here, the tongue and these muscles at the top of the throat, we can constrict them to limit the air pressure, right? And we have the thoracic diaphragm and then the pelvic floor would also be a diaphragm pelvic diaphragm, right? So we can use all these muscles to create different pressure in different cavities in the body. Right. So the problem with using Ujjayi all the time, yeah, which can become a habit or go back mm-hmm. to our habits of breathing is that if we're creating that tension in the throat all the time and the sort of rubbing that can happen of tissues, um, we can damage our vocal cords and our throats and you know, it's funny if you get into a room with a bunch of speech language pathologists, and then you talk about Ujjayi, they all look at each other and roll their eyes because they've all worked with yogis who've come who have throat issues because uh, they were doing Ujjayi breathing all the time. Maybe that's why I'm not a good singer. <laughs> I don't know. No. But, so yeah, it's a tool. I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of reasons why people might enjoy it. It also gives you something to listen to when you're breathing and so Presencing, yeah bringing another sense into the the breathing practice, but I don't use it very often because I've seen, I've seen people with damage to their body from it. So good to know. And it's, and it's one of those ones that just like, and when people start practicing Ujjayi, then they're doing it all the time. They're driving and they're doing Ujjayi breathing oh. and they're on their computer and they're doing Ujjayi breathing. And I keep yeah. mine in the yoga studio and I don't do it okay. all the time, but it's just one that I always like 
that I enjoyed during certain moments. I think just during those certain moments of like, like I said, more intensity, it was something to like refocus on breathing through the nose. Mm -hmm. Before I got into yoga, I went through a little long distance running stint and I was running like 10 kilometers a day. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, at that point didn't have much awareness about breathing, even though I was doing a kinesiology degree, which is kind of sad. And I was breathing through my nose, but out through my mouth, (sighs) like constantly. And Mm -hmm. so when I transitioned from long distance running to getting more into yoga and learned about breathing in and out through your nose, I think that it was just a way to like continue doing that even through moments of like higher intensity or like more cardiovascular stress. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting for people to um, experiment with and see if they are able to do that same kind of slowing down of the exhale without using Ujjayi. Yeah. Can you do it? It's a whole other skill no. <laughs> to be able to do it by only thinking about the diaphragm movement and the movement of the abdominal muscles. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I think it's important to have access to all of the tools. Yeah. Can you talk about tongue placement during the mm. breath? Cause I feel like it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Where does it go? <laughs> so your tongue. Okay. So according to oral myofunctional therapists, so OMTs, you might see them called sometimes. Um, and there are people who really look at tongue and mouth strength and placement um, and functionality. They would say that your tongue's resting place is in the roof of your mouth. So the tip of your tongue, if you sort of run it along the inside of your top front teeth Mm -hmm. and then onto the roof of your mouth, you'll feel just behind your teeth, a little bump, a little ridge. Okay. So they would call that the spot very fancy term, the Mm -hmm. spot, the spot. That's where the tip of your tongue goes on the spot. (laughs) And then the rest of your tongue comes up into the roof of the mouth as well. So it's not just the tip of the tongue up and then everything else down. It's the whole tongue in the roof of the mouth. And you should have your mouth fully closed. Well, if your tongue is in that position and your lips are open and your jaw is down a little bit, you can't breathe through your mouth because your tongue sort of seals off. Ah. So yeah, your, your lips could be closed, your teeth sort of gently resting. It really depends on your mouth, I guess. Well, uh, OMTs would have a lot more to say about that than me. That's (laughs) not my area specialty, but yeah, but I do, I have a few tongue exercises because really it's about if you have enough strength in your tongue and mobility. And I mean, part of this might, if you have a tongue tie, it might inhibit your tongue's ability to rest in that position. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, things to consider. And of course, again, that falls into the, the OMT area of expertise realm. Yes. (laughs) Um, But, you know, for most of what we're doing during the day, our tongue should be resting in this position. And so I, I have a few tongue exercises that I use with people, but they're just very limited, just sort of for general strength. Yeah. OMTs have many, many, many exercises that they do. It's funny. And I, I realized this theme reading, reading breath, the breath is divided into so many different categories. Like there's the pulmonary side 
there's the respiratory side, there's the mouth side. And it's like, well, actually all these things are like one cycle, but all these fields of study are so divided that it's almost like it's just been missed as a complete area of study. Well, and this is really what Rosalba's tried to do with her integrative breathing therapy is to say, you know, from the chemical side, this is what we're looking at. And from the mechanical side, this is what we're looking at. And she talks a little bit. She's also an OMT and an osteopath. And so she does look at these other things. I mean, what is happening to the, the bones in your head when you're breathing, right? Like that's a whole other osteopathic. Yeah discussion, which is again, outside of my scope of practice, but it's interesting. It is interesting. And I found it so shocking, all of this research that people didn't use, that our ancestors didn't have crooked teeth and had like wider mouths and wider noses and that our Mm -hmm. facial structure has changed. And the prevailing link is the change in breath going from Mm -hmm. nose breathing to mouth breathing. Yeah. If it's, it's quite remarkable. If you Google nose breathing versus mouth breathing and look at images. There are side-by-side images of people who were nose breathers, became mouth breathers. There's a, a quite a famous pair of photos um, where uh, a young boy got a gerbil or a hamster or something, and it slept in his bedroom and he was allergic. And so he shifted to uh, being a mouth breather and how his face changed because of that. Whoa right? Like just the structure, the bone structure of his face changed because he was mouth breathing all night. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sort of it became his habit and was mouth breathing all the time. And you can see, and then, you know, you can see photos of the opposite where somebody is a mouth breather and they're trained into more functional breathing and how that changes their face. So it's always a really interesting. So interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in mouth taping or practice that? So I, I do tape my mouth sometimes. I don't do it every night. If you're going to tape your mouth, don't use duct tape. <laughs> use, well, I sometimes will see an article, like a news article, and it's like, people are saying you should tape your mouth and doctors are saying this is really, really dangerous. And the photo they have is somebody with a big piece of duct tape across their mouth. So that's not what we're talking about. We use, there's special tapes that are designed for mouth taping and there's people who have developed specific products for that. You can just get, what do we call it? Micropore tape. Mm -hmm. And literally it's micropore. It has tiny holes in it. So if you hold it over your lips, you can actually breathe through. You can feel air move through it. Like you can breathe through it. So that's the kind of tape that I recommend. It's not to seal your mouth shut. It's to just to keep your your lips lips closed. Yeah. Right. And so actually most people, when I get them starting, it's one little piece up and down. Mm -hmm. Now you still can breathe through the corner of your mouth. Or you're probably not going to. Some people will, if they have a really strong mouth breathing habit, they still will. And so I like to encourage people. And when I tape my mouth at night, I tape all the way across. Okay. Again, just with micropore tape. And I always fold over one side. So you have a tab you can pull on, but there are lots of products that, in fact, somebody's created something that just goes around your mouth and that sort of helps keep your lips closed. I've seen that recently. There's lots of products out there for keeping them, the lips closed at night. And so when I'm working with people on breath retraining, I suggest it. I'm often working with people who have traumatic histories, stress, anxiety, and some people don't want to tape their mouths mm-hmm. because that feels very anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. So 
You don't have to tape your mouth shut to learn to breathe through your nose at night. Yeah. And also, if you would like to become more comfortable with taping your lips, I suggest that people practice doing it during the day. So sit sit down to read a book for an hour and put some tape on your mouth and just get used to the idea that you can breathe through your nose, that you're safe, that it's not weird. And then if you're, the other thing is if you're sleeping and you, for whatever reason, can't breathe through your nose, you will take the tape off in your sleep. Yeah. You know, I've done it when. Have you? You know. Yeah, I have. Like, I, I don't, I, I woken up and I'm like, why is my tape off? For some reason in the night, I took my tape off. Yeah. And I've often, I've had people send me photos of themselves with their tape in their hair in the morning, and <laughs> which is always fun. So, you know, it, it's not a dangerous practice. Don't do it on children under the age of two or three, depending on the child. And maybe they just get one little tiny piece this way. If you're really trying to train, if you have a kid with a big mouth breathing habit, yeah. now we have to be careful with kids in airways because their upper airway may be smaller for some reason. They may have they may have swollen adenoids. They may have polyps in their nose. They may have a deviated septum. There may be something going on. You should always have somebody, an ENT, examine them, make sure their airway is able, Functional, like their nose yeah. is able to handle nose breathing. Yeah, because they may need some kind of other intervention. Now, if you breathe through your nose, you are more able to breathe through your nose. It's the more you do, the more you can. Right. Because form follows function. And so, yeah, which is an interesting thing, but with children, you have to be careful and make sure that, you know, there's, there's been an assessment and they're, they're good to go, but it's not a dangerous thing. The other thing is that you may start taping and train yourself into nose breathing and you don't have to tape your mouth forever. You can just becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. But what I have found is that if I'm in periods of a lot of stress, I might want to tape my nose or tape my mouth so I can breathe through my nose more mm-hmm. at night. Or if I have a head cold and so I'm more likely to open my mouth, I'll tape my mouth. So there's there's things that might come up where I might choose to tape my mouth. So I have a roll of tape on my bedside table. And when I get to, to bed at night, I sort of think, do I want tape tonight or not? How do I feel? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I feel like we've done a pretty good job. Well, you've done a pretty good job covering like kind of the basics of breath, getting into Butego, integrative breath therapy. So I just want to cover one last thing. Can you sure. just, because I mentioned it earlier, but speaking like the queen. Oh, right. Because <laughs> it's really fun. Okay. So speaking like the queen falls under the category of trying to breathe through your nose all the time. And some people... Um, when they are speaking, take a lot of mouth breaths and, and some people like doing that. And I'm not going to tell you that you can't, you can, you have agency, you can breathe how you want, but if you are looking to nose breathe more often, or if you find that after speaking for a long period of time, that you're tired, that your mouth is dry, you might find that nose breathing is more helpful. So this is a technique. So we inhale through the nose. And then when we're speaking, we exhale. And then when you get to the point where you need to inhale again, you close your mouth and breathe through your nose. And then you continue speaking (laughs) on your exhale, which is what I've been doing for this whole podcast. If you've been listening. I've been trying. I don't know if I've done it successfully, but I've been trying to. I I don't know. I just did it there. (laughs) 
Yeah. So if you want to practice doing it, what I would suggest to people is practice counting. So in groups of fives and then in groups of 10, so they get used to, the, so you don't have to think about what you're saying when you're counting is kind of the point, right? It's just, you're just doing it by rote. So you can concentrate on the breathing because you're retraining the coordination of breath and speech. And it's hard. It's really hard. It's, it's complicated. Certainly if you are a yoga or movement teacher and you want to try this practice of speaking like the queen, when you are teaching a movement class is not going to be the time when you can start doing it because you're going to be moving your body, your heart rate's probably elevated, and you're watching a whole bunch of people and trying to help them as well. It's really complicated then. But you can begin by doing simple things. Counting, reading out loud is another good one. When you're reading out loud, you can in practice short phrases and longer phrases and the combination of those things without having to make decisions about what you're saying. And then once you feel comfortable with that, start having short conversations with people. But do you even have to think about it now? No. Or is it just natural? Yeah. Yeah. It's my habit now. It's a habit. You can make a habit. habit. You can make good habits and bad habits, but you can make a habit out of anything. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. I feel like I've learned so much and refreshed so much. And I'm planning on doing a breath kind of seminar course. So if anybody's interested in that, I'll give you more information on that later, but I thought it would be nice to release this episode and then kind of get into that. So I can kind of base it on some of those core things. Excellent. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to say, or is there any like last, like key takeaways about breathing that you want to leave us with? Remember that you are alive and your brain is keeping you alive. So don't stress out too much about your breathing. (laughs) And then you know, just work gently on nose breathing and using your diaphragm. And uh, yeah, if you have any information or, or questions, you there's lots of information on my website. You, I'm, and I'm always happy to answer emails. So reach out if you want to chat. And you yeah. offer a bunch of like trainings and like different kind of opportunities for people to practice breath with you as well. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So I do breath retraining courses. I do them in groups and I do them um, individually. And I just started running a pranayama course. So we're looking at practicing pranayama and there's a, a daily practice element as a part of that. Ooh, I love that. Okay. Well, I will link all of your information in the show notes. If anybody wants to connect. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Hey everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the episode with Jennifer. There was so much good stuff in there. Breathing is one of the most important, I mean, arguably the most important function that our body does. And the fact that it does this consciously and subconsciously, and that we can control and manipulate this gives us so much power. It gives us the power to regulate our nervous system consciously, to change ourselves on a physiological level. And my favorite is the psychophysiological aspect. And this means the mind, how you can control your mental state simply by becoming aware and then choosing how to breathe. If you're feeling like your breath could use a little work or a little tune-up, I just wanted to let you know that on Sunday, March 5th, I'm going to be hosting a Better Breath Seminar. So it's going to be live. It's going to be about 
probably just over an hour and we're going to get into putting this knowledge, putting this learning into practice, into action. So I'm going to start by kind of going over some of these topics and then we're going to do some gentle movement, some stretching, some yoga poses targeted at making more space for breath. And we're just going to really tune into the breath. Notice your breathing patterns. Notice where you aren't where you're maybe like really tight, where you can open up. And then we're going to use some tools for feedback to learn a little bit more about breath, followed by implementing and learning some techniques on how to build a better breath to optimize your breathing function and ultimately improve your quality of life. And then we'll probably end with a little meditation and I'm going to send you away with a PFD with a bunch of information and different breathing techniques. And then we'll have some time for chatting and questions and whatnot at the end. I'll be hosting it live over Zoom so you can access it from anywhere. And I will be recording it so that you can continue to access it through um, throughout time. So yeah, I hope to see you there and I will be sending out an email with more information and I'll be posting on my socials with more information of where you can sign up and where to follow along. And I will include um, a link to my email sign up in the show notes of this episode as well. So have an amazing rest of your day. Shut your mouth, breathe through your nose, and I hope to see you on March 5th. It'll be so much fun. Okay, bye. Thank you so much to each and every one of you who took the time to listen to this episode. It means so much to me. If you could take a second to rate and review the podcast, that would be much appreciated. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And if you'd like to connect, send me a message, send me a DM. I'm here to chat. Okay. Love you. Bye.